Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. All right, tonight we're going to talk about resurrection. We're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about Jesus' resurrection. We're going to talk about resurrection in general. You have to understand resurrection really to grab hold of the faith. You have to understand that way back in the beginning, when God created man, he created him for fellowship. He created us to be his kids. He wanted to teach us and to train us to be in partnership with him, to do things in his kingdom. But partnerships require agreements. That's what a covenant is. A covenant is an agreement. Like when you get married, it's a marriage covenant. You're making an agreement to each other and you have terms of the agreement. This is all part of the training, right? Because if God wants to use us in his kingdom, we have to be trustworthy. We have to be able to keep our agreements. So as his children, he starts training in small things and he moves up. So in the beginning, when he told us, just don't eat of the tree, you can have everything else, you can eat everything except not that one. And that's the one that Adam and Eve went and got. They came out of agreement with God and came into agreement with the devil because the devil said, don't listen to God, do this. So that's covenant. They're now broken their covenant with God. They're now in covenant with the devil. The Bible says that sin brings death. That was part of the original agreement. If you sin, you will die. In the Old Testament, the word death is synonymous with hell. So a lot of times when you read death, it means hell. So what it really meant is if you sin, you go to hell. Because to God, death is not really when we physically die. Death is when we go to hell. Because to God, when we, when we physically die, we go to him. So that's a joyous thing. But if we go to hell, we're separated from him. So to him, that is real death. That's the sorrowful thing. So when we, if we are in the Lord and we die and we go to heaven, then to him, that's more like a birth. We, we leave this plane and go to him and we're with him. And it's as joyous as whenever a baby comes into this plane to us. So that's a joyful thing. But to God, when you go to hell, that's real death. So sometimes in the Bible, in fact, a lot of times when it talks about death, it's really talking about hell. So if you sin, you go to hell. That was part of the original agreement. We fast forward few thousand years and Jesus comes. Jesus comes, is born in a barn. He lives among men. He gives us the truth. He gives us a new covenant, a new agreement. And then he dies and he pays for the price of the old agreement because in the old agreement under the law, you sin, you die. All right, we sinned, he died. He dies in our place. He went to hell. He got the keys to the kingdom. He comes back says, I have all authority. He's resurrected. There is resurrection. Now, he never sinned while he lived. So death really had no hold on him, right? Because death was contingent upon sin. If you sin, you will die or go to hell, right? So Jesus was killed, but he had never sinned. That was the devil's mistake. So he goes to hell and he has all authority. He's not under any rule of the enemy there. So he goes and he takes the keys of the kingdom. He's resurrected. He comes back again. He's a new man. 
not only does that show that there's victory over this death thing, but it gives us faith that if we believe in him and do as he taught what he told us to do and what he said, then we can have that freedom too. We can be freed from hell or death. We can be resurrected. And he gives us a promise that I'm coming back again. Now occupy while I'm here. Teach them everything that I taught you because I'm coming back again. And when I do, those who did what I said, you will all be resurrected also. Hell will have no hold on you. Death will have no hold on you. Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? All right. Death is not such a painful or sorrowful thing when you know that you're coming back again. And you're going to have a resurrected life, a glorified body. You're going to have a purpose on the other side of this earth. Sin brought death in in the garden of Eden in the beginning. Jesus redeems us from that death in the garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. Jesus is resurrected and given a glorified body and promises to truly restore us to like we were before and better. Now the whole purpose in Jesus' coming was to bring us back to the state that we were in before the fall so that we could truly have fellowship with, with God. But he does that and better. Before there was eternal life, they didn't die. Death didn't come until after sin. So Jesus gives us an opportunity to have that and more. So it's to restore us back to the way it was before, but he does even more. The work of redemption is completed through Jesus. We are restored to fellowship with God to eternal life, to everything that we had in the garden. And we get the promise of resurrection if we meet the conditions of repentance and faith and get ready for the day when all will be judged according to their decisions. So as Christians, where we are now, we put our faith in the fact that Jesus was resurrected. He was crucified, buried, and resurrected. The Bible says you have to believe this to be saved. The truth of the matter is, is that if we really do believe that, then that should give us the faith to live for our own resurrection, to know that we're going to be resurrected one day too. And we have to live for that day. And the decisions that we make now will determine the decision that he makes then. So we live every day, not for the moment, but for the resurrection. The Bible says that we'll be judged according to our works on that day. But our works are really the fruit of our decisions. And our decisions are the fruit of what we truly put our faith in. That's why the Bible says that you're saved by faith, by grace through faith. Because if we believe that Jesus was resurrected and that we're going to be resurrected just like he was, if we have faith in that, then that will change our decisions. That will make us make decisions more wisely. And so tonight we're going to look through some of this stuff and we're going to see some of the things that the Bible says will cause you to miss the resurrection. But we're going to get to that in a minute. What you believe will determine if you have a place in the resurrection. I think that's a weighty thing to realize. What we believe will affect our place in the resurrection. And we have the ability to affect what other people believe. That means we have the ability to affect other people's outcome in the resurrection. 
our lives, the testimony that we live, the things that we speak, the things that we do, the people we witness to, the people we influence, if we condone or influence sins that the Bible says will keep us out of the resurrection, then all that puts blood on our hands. That actually heightens our judgment, but even more than that, just the realization. We all have disciples, whether we realize it or not. There's somebody looking. Somebody's always watching. Somebody's going to follow you. Everybody's a leader to someone. The question is, are they going to follow you to heaven or to hell? Because they're going to follow you somewhere. The Bible says in Revelations chapter 12, verse 11, that the saints overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And because they didn't love their own lives even unto the death. We know the blood of the Lamb, that's what Jesus did. Only Jesus' blood can save us, can wash us, can forgive us, can cleanse us from our sins. But that blood's power is proven to others. They have to put their faith in that. You have to put your faith in the power of the blood of Jesus enough to even ask Him to cleanse you. Why would anybody put their faith in something so insane? It makes no sense. Well, your testimony. When they see you say, look, it doesn't have to make sense, but I believe and now I'm free. Now I'm different. This is who I used to be. He healed me. He changed me. I'm not on medication anymore. I'm not on drugs anymore. I'm not depressed anymore. Whatever the situation, I'm not a wretched, I'm not selfish anymore. I was able to forgive that person that hurt me and I couldn't before. Those testimonies prove the power of the blood that it works. So your testimony is important. So be aware that the devil will try to attack and discredit your testimony more than anything else. Guard your testimony at all costs because it will affect others and how their resurrection story plays out. The Bible says that the ones that overcame, they didn't care about themselves, even if it cost them their lives. They were willing to maintain the testimony. And that's how the enemy was overcome, not just for them, but for those around them that were witnessing them. That's how important the resurrection is. In fact, throughout history, people have given their lives for their profession of faith, not willing to deny Christ for the sole fact that they didn't want to lose their place in the resurrection. It says maintain your profession no matter what. The testimony proves the power of the words of God to be true. In John 14, verse 10, chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus said it like this. He told the, the Pharisees or those around him that really weren't believing that he was who he was. He said, believe me at least for the very work's sake, right? That's the power of, of testimony. He says, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Jesus was asking them, don't you believe that I came from the Father, that he's in me, that I am who I say I am. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Now he was saying, look at what's going on, look at the miracles, look at what's happening. Believe me because of what I'm saying, but even if you don't believe what I'm saying, at least believe for the very work's sake, for the miracles that are happening, for the testimonies that you're hearing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, 
shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. I love that. Jesus said, if you believe on me, that I go to the Father, and then I'm going to come and be in you, and you'll be able to do what I do, because I'll do it through you, and even greater works, because I'll be the Father. So the Father's power goes through the Son, through us, back out into the world, if we believe. God will never endorse a vessel that doesn't endorse his word, if that makes sense. We have to endorse with our testimony what his word says because the miracles come to validate the message. We have to not only preach the message, but we have to live the message. We have to be the message. We have to demonstrate the message with our lives. And when we do that, he will pour all of the power of the kingdom of God through us to validate and endorse that message. God will do great and mighty things in your life through you and to you maintain the testimony because he can't validate you if you're contradicting his words. When he validates what you're speaking, he's validating you just like Jesus. Jesus was saying, for the sake of what God is doing through me, my message should be validated. It's literally what he was saying. So when God does things through us, it validates us and it validates what we're saying. So if we're not preaching the right preach or living the right life, then we limit his ability to move and work in us and through us. Now, again, we are nothing in and of ourselves. We can't do it without us. So we have to spend that time with him in prayer and ask him, Lord, cleanse me. Lord, reveal to me the areas where I'm out of alignment. Lord, give me your strength. Lord, correct me. Lord, fix me. It's nothing we can do. We have to abide. We have to get connected to that root. But if we do and if we ask, he is more than willing to empower, to cleanse, to strengthen The danger comes in when things start to get easy and we start straying and getting busy and doing other things and we we forsake that time being connected to him to constantly let him point those things out and strengthen and grow us. That's really the danger zone. Um, David Wilkerson had a message and it's so true. He said the most dangerous time for a Christian is right after a victory because you start to get kind of laxed and thinking, oh, well, it's good. I got it now. The Israelites, as soon as they made it into the promised land, he said, now don't forget me now that you're here. Don't forget me. But they did. They got distracted by the promise. They, they forsook him, and eventually they got weak and fell away. It's not because God got any weaker. It's because they drifted further and further away from their source of strength. Go to John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus said this, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Abide means to remain or to stay in. They won't stay in that darkness if they truly believe in him. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receive not my words... See, this is key because a lot of people think as long as I believe in Jesus, I'm good. But the Bible says that even the demons believe and they're not good. And they're not saved and they're not going to heaven. Many people believe that Jesus is real, but do they believe his words? Do they believe what he said? He says, if you reject me and receive not my words, you have to not just believe in him. You have to actually believe him. That's how you get saved, by faith. We have to believe him. We have to believe everything that he said. He says, if you receive not my words, 
These people hath one that will judge them. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The last day is when we're all raised from the dead and we're judged. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So Jesus is very clearly saying here that the words of God, the commandments of God, are what actually bring you into eternal life. The things that Jesus spoke, okay? We have no ability to obey what God said unless we ask to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood cleanses us, forgives us. He fills us with his spirit, which then empowers us with grace to then obey. It gives us the ability to come boldly before the throne of grace, to enter in and have that fellowship and pray and hear from the Holy Spirit and feel that conviction and understand the scriptures when we read it. So we can't do it by ourselves. We need the blood of Jesus and we need the Holy Spirit. But once you have that, those tools are there to get you to a place where you then can seek and hear and obey. He said, if you hear the words that I say and obey them, right? Because even all of these things that I just said were things that he instructed. So it's all part of his words. Then this will lead you into eternal life. He said, but on the final day, all will be judged. He says, but you're not going to be judged by me. You're going to be judged by the words that I have spoken. And they're not even my words. They're the Father's. He told me what to say and I said it. So basically that means that on the final day, God's going to open the book. It's going to be the Bible. It's going to be the red-lettered words of Jesus in the New Testament. And he's going to say, okay, I said this through my son. Let's judge by the fruits. Did your life reflect it? Did you live like this? Because that's going to prove if you really believed it. That's why it's so important to read the Bible, to read what Jesus said, not to take men's opinions or Facebook meme Christianity and, you know, all of these things that people tell you and the TV preacher and all. Open it up. This is the book that will judge you. You need to know it. You need to see what it really says. What did Jesus say? And if he said it, believe it and live by it. And if you do, then you'll on the final day, you'll have everlasting life. You will be part of the resurrection of the dead. Saved from death or hell, which is the same thing. All right, the resurrection proved the validity of everything that Jesus spoke. Because only God has the power of life and death. Therefore, when he raised Jesus from the dead, he endorsed and validated him and all that he had spoken. All right, there is something very significant about resurrection here. The devil can counterfeit a lot of miracles and gifts and signs and wonders. But the devil is limited. The devil has no ability to perform true resurrection. So when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it proved God was with him. God validated him in a way that nothing could ever refute it. Therefore, it validates his words. And God did that for our benefit that we might have faith in those words and be saved so that we could be part of the resurrection that's coming because resurrection is being saved from death given eternal life saved from hell. 
Now, understand the difference. Others in Scripture had been raised from the dead before Jesus. But that's not resurrection. There's a difference. Those who had been raised from the dead were not changed. They had not transcended. They were not glorified. They came back into their old body. They were revived. So their soul left. They were brought back into the same body. They were revived. In fact, Jesus often said they're just sleeping. So it's like they went to sleep and they woke up. They weren't resurrected. Jesus died, went to heaven, was changed, got his glorified body, and was resurrected as the first fruits of the resurrection and took his place in kingship, ruling and reigning in heaven, and is now waiting for us to join him at the time of the second harvest. When the Bible talks about resurrection, it's talking about the resurrection. When we get our glorified body, we're going to be made different. We're going to be back to like it was before the fall of man, before death was in the world, when we lived forever, but it's going to be better. We're going to get a glorified body. We're going to be different. That is resurrection. What happened with the other people was just being revived because they still died. They didn't live forever. They didn't get a glorified body. They weren't changed. So Jesus was the first fruits according to scripture because he was the first one ever to get a glorified body, to be brought back to that state as it was before Adam and Eve, but I would say probably even better. Really quick, in Israel there are three main harvests. The first harvest is a barley harvest. It's called the poor man's bread. It's very healthy, very good for you. doesn't taste all that great. Uh, a lot of the poor people eat it. The second harvest is the wheat harvest. Y'all know what wheat is. It's where we get our flour from. The third harvest is a grape harvest. The barley represented Jesus. The Passover bread, the unleavened bread, all the breads that represented Jesus were always made of barley. He was the first harvest. That's why he's called the first fruits, the first harvest. Um, it was a poor man's bread. It was very good for you, but not very palatable. Not something you would really want or choose of yourself, but it was there for the poor. The wheat is represents the Christians. Throughout Scripture, the Bible talks about the wheat as the, the saints. Not just Christians, but the Jews, all those that were God's people were represented as the wheat. He said the, there was a parable of a man that had sowed wheat, and then the enemy came in and sowed tares. And he says at the end, the final harvest, I'll harvest them all together, and the tares I'll separate and throw into the fire, and the wheat I'll bring into my barn. So that represents us. So Jesus was the first will be the second. He's going to come and harvest us in the end. That'll be our resurrection. The grape harvest represents the sinners. The Bible talks about the sinners being thrown into the great wine press of God's wrath. The grapes are the final harvest after the saints are gathered in to meet him. He says he'll gather the saints from the four winds, from the four corners of the earth, and he'll bring them uh, to New Jerusalem. Then the wrath of God is poured out on the sinful. So Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. He was the first to be resurrected, even though he was not the first to be revived. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Uh, Paul was dealing with some issues in this church where people were preaching all different mixed up stuff. Some were preaching it right. Some were preaching that Jesus 
had been raised from the dead, but there was no resurrection for us. Some were preaching that he had never been raised from the dead. Some were preaching that there was no resurrection of the dead. So he was trying to clear all this up in what he's about to say. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Some were saying there's no resurrection of the dead and they were saying, but we witnessed, we all saw Christ being raised from the dead. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain and your faith is also in vain. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, then your faith is in vain. You really don't believe and you're not saved. We have to not only believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, but we have to believe that we're going to be raised from the dead and that all of the true saints are going to be raised from the dead. Truly believe it. And if we truly believe it and not just say we believe it, but if we really believe it, that's really going to affect the way we live. That's going to affect every decision that we make. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up according to what they were preaching. If so be that the dead do not rise. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins, and they also which are fallen asleep in Christ will perish. So he's telling them that if Christ really didn't rise from the dead, then none of you are saved either because that's where our faith is. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. He's saying if you're just living to be changed right now or to get some blessings right now or to get some help right now and you're not living for the resurrection and really believing for so much better on the other side of this, then what's the point? We're really like the most miserable of all people because It's hard enough on us, but these people were being killed and tortured and fed to lions and lit on fire in the streets for their faith. You know, he's like, if we don't have faith for the resurrection, then what's the point? How miserable of an existence is this? But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruit of them that slept. For since by man came death, he's talking about Adam, By man came also the resurrection of the dead, talking about Jesus. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. Right? Christ the firstfruits, the barley harvest. Second, us at his coming in its order. We have faith for this. The devil can counterfeit God to an extent. And that's the importance of the resurrection. It absolutely validates the message that Jesus gave us, that we can completely put our faith in what he said, that this really is what we have to live by. Because though the devil can counterfeit to an extent, he is limited. And there comes a point where the power of God just surpasses. And he does not have the ability to perform resurrection. In Egypt, when God would bring a plague on Egypt, Janus and Jambres were the chief magicians of Egypt. They worked by the power of Satan. So when Moses would do something, they would do it too. And they'd be like, oh, see, your God's not so powerful. But really, they were just doubling their own plagues. So that's kind of the logic of the devil. 
But it got to a point, I think around maybe like the fourth plague or so, it kept elevating and their power was capped and they just couldn't do it. They couldn't compete anymore. So the enemy can counterfeit. And there are things that will look like, is God doing this? But then there comes a power that is greater. And resurrection is like the top of that. So the devil couldn't counterfeit. So everybody knows what Jesus said was true. And I question if the the two witnesses isn't a reference to the Jews and the the Christians that are killed and martyred at the end of the time of tribulation and left for dead. And then at their resurrection, then it proves what they've been preaching as true too. Even when Daddy preached Sunday with his message, when he preached in Revelations 12, at the end it says that the, the, the devil came to destroy and to kill those that kept the commandments of God, which are the Jews, and those that kept the testimony of Jesus Christ, that's the Christians. In tribulation, that's the ones that the enemy is going to be trying to kill and trying to hunt. I think that's your two witnesses. Now, it can be two individual people, and it probably will be, but it still parallels what they experience is what the Christians and the Jews will experience. And regardless, they're the ones getting resurrected. So when they get resurrected, that proves the validity of what they had been preaching through that time of tribulation. Resurrection is the validation that cannot be counterfeited. That will be needed because in this time, the Antichrist will be doing many signs and lying wonders, right? The enemy can counterfeit. It says that the Antichrist will perform miracles in the sight of men and the false prophets will perform miracles, signs and lying wonders. It's a wonder, but it's to validate a lie. Never follow after signs and perceived miracles follow after the Holy Spirit and let the miracles follow after you. Seek the Lord because a lot of it can be counterfeited. But there does come a point where the power is so omnipotent that you just know, no, this has to be God. And resurrection is what will do it. The Gentiles, the Bible says that the Gentiles who worshipped idols worshipped demons and didn't even know it. Those who worship anything other than God is worshiping demons, whether they know it or not. So a lot of the things that you see performed uh, through other cultures and other religions, a lot of it is counterfeit manifestations and miracles because demons can perform. There is a power. So even though it's an idol, even though it's a false god or whatever, there is a real power there. The people are being deceived by something. They are seeing and feeling and experiencing something very real. The Bible says that it's demons. So there's something there, but the power is limited. The Antichrist and his system, according to Scripture, will seem to be revived. But remember that reviving is not resurrection. The Bible says that the Antichrist will have a deadly wound that will be healed. He never actually died. It's a wound that will be healed. And... Rather, this happens to a person or a system because it could be talking about an entire political system like the revived Roman Empire. The the whole empire is revived. So it might not even be a person, but even if it is a person, it's not a true resurrection, though they will try to tout it though like it is, but it's not. It's really more, I think, of a counterfeit resurrection, if anything. It's important to remember to have faith for the resurrection. On the final day, everybody's going to stand before God. We're going to give an account for our life, for our action. He's going to open the book. He's going to 
read out what Jesus told us to do, he says we'll be judged by our fruits. Did our life bear witness? Did we believe what he said? Did we do it? Did we live by it? If we truly believe that, it will help us to be more heavenly minded every day. Pastor Daniel had preached a sermon one time where he said that, you know, the, the saying that you're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. The truth is that most times we're so earthly minded that we're of no heavenly good. And that is the truth. But believing in and remembering the resurrection helps you to be more heavenly minded and not so focused on the temporary and not so easily tempted and not so easily manipulated by emotions and by the enemy. It focuses us on the temporariness of this life and its pleasures or its trials and the infiniteness of the next life and its torments or rewards. We have to really look more at forever than we look at right now. Things might be hard right now, but if we stick it out and do the right thing, we'll have an amazing forever. Or we can have pleasures and do what we want to do right now and have a tormented and horrible forever. So it's better to make your decision for forever than for right now. So remember the resurrection is coming. It forces us to face the reality of judgment and the requirement to humble and trust or put our faith in God's words because this book will judge us. So here are some of the things that will keep you out of heaven and the resurrection according to the book that will judge us. Go ahead and pull up Revelations 22, verse 12. This is probably our most important passage of the night because this is Jesus' actual words. Jesus himself says, I'm coming back, and when I do, these are the ones that won't make it in. Now, uh, of course, we read all the way through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to see everything that he talked about. But this is the ones that he found important to call out in his account of what would happen when he returns. He says, Behold, I come quickly. This is Jesus speaking. And my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. I am the Alpha and Omega, which means the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, which is what gives you eternal life, and may enter in through the gates into the city, which is New Jerusalem, where those who are resurrected will live with him. For without are dogs. In other words, those who don't get in, those who don't make it through to the resurrection, those who are rejected. Now in the Hebrew, uh, the word for dog was synonymous with an impure or dirty-minded person. So I don't, it wasn't really talking about dogs. It was talking about people that are, have a perverted mind. Yeah, and, and we use it the same way. Oof, that person's a dog. You, you know what it means. And sorcerers, sorcerers will not make it in. When you look it up, the word in the original Greek that was translated to sorcerer here is formakeia. It means a user or dealer of drugs. These are very important things to know. This is what gives us motivation to stick it out and to stand. 
that Jesus himself actually said that if you're using drugs, you cannot get into heaven. This is very, very serious. And so grateful that he loves us enough to give us these clear, concise things to help motivate us. Users of the dark arts. He says whoremongers won't get in. That's any fornicator or adulterer. That's anyone who's having any sexual relationship outside of marriage to their spouse. They can't get into heaven. Murderers. Remember, Jesus said that if you hate your brother without a cause, you've already committed murder. So that includes bitterness and offense and hatred, unforgiveness. And then obviously real murder too. And idolaters. Idolatry is putting other things before God. That will actually keep you out of the promise. Whosoever loveth and maketh a lie, so deceitful and manipulative people, won't get in. I, Jesus, have sent mine angels to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. He's saying, I've made it freely available. If you want, you can come and grab it. But there are conditions. We have to be in agreement or covenant. To be in covenant, we have to be in agreement. So he's saying, these are the things that I am not going to be in agreement with. These things can't come in. Come into agreement with me, and it's here for you freely. Come and take of the water. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city. And from the things which are written in this book, he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And this is why we are required to preach it and to tell others of it. He said that even if you just take anything out of this book, if you don't tell them these things, if, if you don't tell them that they're going to miss heaven, if they hold on to these things, I'll take you out of it. I'll hold you accountable. Because you knew it. He says, those who know to do right and don't do it, to them it is sin. He's saying you have to believe and you have to speak and you have to be. Because he's given us the power to do it. He bought that for us at the price of his own life and his own blood. He made a way for us to be cleansed and forgiven. If we confess our faults, he's faithful to forgive. We can ask for his blood. We can ask for his Holy Spirit. He will come, he will forgive, he will empower, he will strengthen. He has made a way. He has given us the, the ability. There's no temptation that has been given unto man that the, he has not made a way of escape from. He is the way of escape. We have to ask him, we have to seek him, we have to believe him, and we have to believe him enough to obey him. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.